0: Recently I came across an ad near my apartment clubhouse saying that they are taking new membership for the clubhouse at a 50% discount. I immediately checked and contacted the receptionist at the clubhouse and I inquired the details of the membership. I went through the catalogue and understood what are amenities they have. So they had badminton, squash coat, gym, swimming pool and then she added a condition saying that the 50% discount was only for today and I had to take the membership then and there. I thought for some time and then I immediately paid the amount with the 50% discount. The next day when I visited the clubhouse, I found that the gym equipments were old, the swimming pool was not maintained. and The badminton court was still under maintenance. I had taken a decision at haste and the only thing that triggered to take me that decision was the lady telling me that the discount was applicable only for the day. Have you come across such thing where you get influenced by an external factor? Let's talk about more, about some of the influence that we get in our life and some of the factors, some of the weapons of influence that that I came across in the book Influence by Robert. Welcome to another episode of Salt and Pepper. In this episode we talk about influence, the psychology of persuasion, a beautiful book written by Dr. Robert Cialdini who talks about different varieties of influential factors that we come across and we take decision based on these influences. There are many examples that he quotes that we might be coming across on a daily basis and we are completely dependent on these influences to take our decisions. The book starts with a story of a jewellery shop owner who has some beautiful set of jewelry and she had trouble selling them off. It was the peak of the tourist season and the jewelry pieces were of good quality for the prices she was asking for. Yet they were not getting sold. She attempted a couple of standard sales tricks to get them moving, but nothing worked. Finally before leaving out of the town, she scribbled an exasperated note to her head saleswoman asking her to display the case at a half price, hoping to get rid of this offending pieces even if it is a loss. When she returned a few days later, she was not surprised to find that every article had been sold. She was shocked to discover that the employee had read half in her scrolled message as two. The entire allotment had sold out at twice the original price. The customer, mostly well-to-do vacationers with little knowledge of the jewellery, were using a standard principle, a stereotype to guide their buying, expensive is equal to good. Thus the vacationers who wanted good jewellery saw these jewellery pieces as decidedly more valuable and desirable when nothing about them was enhanced but the price. So the moral of the story is we consider always expensive item as good item. Now let me tell you a personal story in this regard. I was traveling and uh, my belt got cut and I had to buy a new belt. and. As it was in the outskirt of a city, I did not find any branded showroom and then I ended up in a small shop where I purchased a belt for 200 bucks. The idea was to use it for some time and then when I reach back to the city, I'll buy a branded belt. But for some reason, I didn't get time to buy the new belt and I continued using the one which I had bought from the local shop. And as I continued to use it, I was happy that it was suiting my purpose. It was an exact fit and it was matching for both my casuals as well as for my formal apparels. And that day I understood that Not everything which is expensive is good. Sometimes you get a good product at a nominal price as well. Now let us take a look at the next weapon of influence which is called as the contrast principle. It is the way we see the difference between two things that are presented one after another. Now let me tell you an example for this. Suppose a man enters a clothes store and says that he wants to buy a three-piece suit and a sweater. If you were the salesperson, which would you show him first to make him likely to spend the most money? Clothing stores instruct their sales personnel to sell the costly item first. Common sense might suggest the reverse. If a man has just spent a lot of money to purchase a suit, he may be reluctant to spend very much more on the purchase of a sweater. But that is not the case. A normal buyer behave in accordance with what the contrast principle says sell the suit first because when it comes time to look at sweaters even expensive ones their prices will not seem as high as in comparison with the suit. A man who might have spent five thousand bucks to buy the suit may not care about spending another five hundred bucks for the sweater. The evidence supports the contrast principle prediction. The interesting thing is that that even when a man enters a clothing store with the purpose of purchasing only a suit, he will almost always pay more for whatever accessories he buys if he buys them after the suit purchase than before. So presenting an inexpensive product first and following it up with an expensive one will cause the expensive item to seem even more costly, which is not a desirable consequence for most of the sales organization. It is the same case when you try to buy a television or any other electronic gadget. The salesperson will start by showing you the most expensive television and then start showing you the inexpensive ones. Now if you look at it, it is the same principle that gets in action when you try to buy a car or a two wheeler. You concentrate fully on negotiating the price of the car and the bike. And it, you totally lose the sight of the amount that they have charged for you for the accessories. Because the car price is so huge and you, when you look at the accessories, the price is so small that you tend not to negotiate or bargain on the accessories. And that's where the sales people make most of their profit. So the automobile dealers use this contrast principle by waiting until the price of the new car is negotiated before suggesting one option after another that might be added. In the wake of a car deal which is around 15 lakh, the thousand rupees accessories, for example, and FM radio, seems almost trivial in comparison. The same will be true of the added expenses of accessories like tinted windows, dual side view mirrors, white wall tires or special trim that the salesman might suggest in sequence. The trick is to bring up the extras independently of one another so that each small price will seem petty when compared to the already determined much larger one. Another interesting way of influencing when you do a deal with a car dealer is like they will offer you first a price which is very less than your competitive price, maybe 40,000 to 50,000 less. They are never intended to sell you at that price. But what they will do is, during this time, they will take a commitment out of you that you will do the deal of the car with them. So you fill a lot of forms, you do extensive financial terms. The dealer even encourages you to drive the car for a day. What happens after that is, an error in the calculation is discovered. The salesman might call you and say that no, I have the calculation was not right. And he will add this 50,000 back to the original price. And sometimes to make things easy, they will let the bank handle these financial mistakes. So you actually end up paying the original price of the car. In this law balling method, an advantage is offered that includes a favourable purchase. Then sometimes after the decision has been made, before the bargain is sealed, the original purchase advantage is deftly removed. It seems almost incredible that a customer would buy a car under these income circumstances yet it works. So the same principle is used by the agents who sell uh, rented houses. So they might show you some undesirable houses for a very high price. Basically these are set up houses. They are not intended to be sold or rented out but it is just used to be shown to the customers. And when they really show a desirable house at even more premium price, the customers take it. Their eyes light up when they are shown the place he really wanted to sell at a premium price because you always compare with those set of properties and its price. So the next weapon of influence is uh, reciprocation. I think this is the one of the most potent of the weapons of influence and it goes by the rule of reciprocation. The rule says that we should try to repay in kind whatever another person has provided us. If someone does a favour, we should do one in return. If a man sends us a birthday present, we should remember his birthday with a gift of our own. If a couple invites us to a party, we should be sure to invite them to one of yours. So in one of the examples quoted by the book, it talks about a religious outfit who sustain their activities by requesting for donations from passersby in public places. So what they do is they stand in front of uh, your airports, public uh, bus stations and other public places and ask people to donate to their society. But it was not working well because people were not giving the donations or they were simply discarding the request of this religious society. So they came up with a brilliant idea. So what they did is before a donation is requested the target person is given a gift a book or a flower. The unsuspecting passer-by who suddenly finds a flower pressed into his hands or pinned to his jacket is under no circumstances allowed it to give back. And even if he asserts that he does not want it, they reply back saying, No, it is our gift to you. So once you make that person accept your gift and then request for a donation, this particular principle started working for them. Another example of this reciprocation rule is the free samples that we receive in your uh, places like your big bazaar or your smart bazaars. As a marketing technique, the free samples has a long and effective history. In most instances, a small amount of the relevant product is provided to potential customer for the stated purpose or of allowing them to try it to see if they like it. And certainly this is a legitimate desire of the manufacturer to expose the public to the quality of the product. The beauty of the free sample however, is that it is also a gift and can engage the reciprocity rule. A favourite place for free samples is your supermarket where customers are frequently provided with small cubes of varieties of cheese, sweets and I have seen uh, products like Maggie Macaronis and this way you when you when you go to the store next time you tend to pick up their products a different version of the free sample tactics is used by the uh, companies like amway corporations so what they do is during their door to door sales they come to your house they show the product they sometimes even give you a sample product Use it for maybe next 48 hours or one week, and they say you just use it and see how our product works. And you are no, we are not forcing you to buy the product. But as you start using it for for a week, you out of there, a lot of options like uh, they might have options like furniture polish, detergent, shampoo, spray containers, insect killers so you you end up buying at least one product from these door to door sellers so if you summarize it it's an it's an obligation to give an obligation to receive and an obligation to repay another way of using this reciprocity that i have come across is by these insurance agents so they take your time they ask you to take a policy of maybe for 10 lakhs and they talk about the benefits of the plan and then they show us the insurance premium and when they reply to them saying that no this premium is very huge I can't afford this then they take it to the next level by saying if not for 10 lakhs can you take the policy for at least 1 lakh? and you fall for it. So the actual intention of the insurance agent was to sell you the 1 lakh insurance policy, but he will start with the 10 lakh premium one and then force you to take up the 1 lakh premium. So another example which I was quoted in the book is uh, the movie makers the television serial makers, in order to make their dialogues not to be cut by the censorship board, what they will do is they will deliberately insert lines into the scripts that censors are sure to remove them. So what happens is they remove these deliberately added lines and end up keeping those lines which they really wanted to include. So this kind of method is called as rejection then retreat technique with incorporation of the reciprocity rule. Another way of influencing your decision is called scarcity. This is a mode where When you go and try to buy some product, the salesperson will tell you that only one single product is available in the stores. And if you don't buy it now, you may not be able to buy it later. This is the same principle used by the apartment sellers, the real estate agents, who tell you that only limited units are available that if you don't pay the booking price, that flat or the apartment will be taken by another person. A similar example is given in the book with toy manufacturers. So these toy manufacturers use this approach of scarcity for addressing their seasonal buying patterns. So these toy manufacturers do a lot of selling before and during the Christmas holiday season. They make a fat profit during this period. Their problem is that toy sales then go into terrible slump for the next couple of months. Their customers have already spent the full amount in their toy budget and they are stiffly resistant to their children's play for more. Even those children whose birthday falls soon after the holidays receive fewer toys because of the recent Christmas spree. Now there is a genius way by which the toy manufacturers have addressed this issue. So what they do is, they start prior to Christmas with attractive TV ads for certain special toys. The kids naturally want these products and extract Christmas promises for these items from their parents. Now what these toy manufacturers do is they under supply the stores with the toys they have gotten the parents to promise. Most parents find those things sold out and are forced to substitute other toys of equal value. The toy manufacturers of course make a point of supplying the stores with plenty of these substitutes. Then after Christmas the companies start running the ads again for the other special toys. That juices up the kids to want those toys more than ever. They go running to their parents whining. To summarize, they under supply the toys for which they have given the ad during the Christmas time and parents are forced to substitute it with some other toys and these ads are then played again after the Christmas is over and make sure that the parents come to the stores to buy those toys. So their sales during the Christmas as well as after Christmas remains the same. I can give you a couple more of examples on this scarcity influence. I had this long weekend coming up and I wanted to visit a hill station. So I was looking to book hotels on this website and this website said there are only two rooms available and it is filling fast. And to make me jittery, there is another pop up that says 10 people are already looking at the same property. another example was i was recently looking for admission for my son in a school and I was contemplating which one to choose and then suddenly one day one of the school calls me and says that only two seats are available and that i need to block the seats i immediately rushed to that school and completed the admission formalities on the same day this is called influence by scarcity wherein emphasis is given to the loss that you are going to incur if you do not take a decision. These marketing techniques are often effective even when you know exactly how they work and why they affected you. The impressive thing about this tactic is that its ability to make a person feel pleased with a poor choice. The book provides a lot of insights to the theory of influence. There are a lot of real life examples that the author has quoted in the book that you should be aware so that you can avoid getting influenced. I highly recommend this book for you to read and understand the concepts of influence and so that you can be cautious when dealing with these external factors. Thank you for listening to Salt and Pepper. I am your host Kajesh.